We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. You can also support the show by leaving a rating and review if you'd like. I really appreciate all those that do that. It means a lot to me that you take the time to support the show in that way. So thanks in advance for that. Now, on to my guest for today, Nicole Brassington, co-founder of Camp Bespoke, a new year-round upscale camping destination in Kentucky. Nicole's story starts with her successful career as a nurse practitioner in the high-pressure setting of heart and lung transplants. She and her three friends, also African-American nurses, have been a source of support for each other for many years. They first came up with the idea of starting a nonprofit to help girls in Sierra Leone reach their potential by providing them with menstrual hygiene products. When they realized they had to raise a lot of money to do so, they set out to work on coming up with a business plan. The business they started grew out of their love for travel, as well as for their home state of Kentucky. Their first idea was a retreat center, but it was replaced by a glamping campground for practical reasons, so they began the rocky journey to build Camp Bespoke. 
Nicole speaks again and again of their determination to see it through. Despite having to come up with their own money to fund the first phase and having to cancel reservations because a bank insisted on a feasibility study. But they also found partners and cheerleaders along the way who share their dream and vision for a place for people visiting in Williamstown, Kentucky to stay. They stayed true to their principles of sustainability and supporting the local economy, principles that have earned them key support on the local and state level. Now, Let's get better together. Nicole Brassington, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for, for joining me. We, uh, we met through uh, Michelle Fishburne, who has been caravanning around the country, trying to find out what's going on in the uh, COVID 2020 world in the U.S., uh, she actually interviewed you for her show and her her website and said, Jari, you got to talk to Nicole. <laughs> so when Michelle says Jari has to do something, I do it because Michelle's awesome. And I really, uh, well, she's just a, such a great person. Um, and I am just so thrilled about what you're trying to do in Kentucky uh, with your uh camp bespoke and your bespoke campgrounds and and just all the stuff that's just totally nutty going on with COVID right now. But but before we get into all that, I would love to hear how you started to do what you're doing today. Yes, absolutely. So thanks so much for having me. I love Michelle as well. She uh, is definitely on a very interesting journey right now and meeting a lot of great people. Uh, and just having the time to speak with her, um, was great uh, to tell her a little bit about our story. So I was born and raised in uh, Kentucky, Kentucky girl. um, And my partners were all um, born and raised in Kentucky as well. Um, There are a total of four majority partners. We're all African-American women. We all met uh, as nurses and uh, in the hospital working together. And so group of friends that travel uh, together and just really uh, motivate and encourage each other, uh, we've kind of created our own um, support system per se. And so we've encouraged each other to continue our nursing education and to become nurse practitioners. And uh, and then we also um, volunteer and, and give back. Uh, and so we're humanitarians as well. We consider ourselves humanitarians. Um, this all really kind of started because uh, my partner, um, Dr. Angelina Strickland, and I uh, started a nonprofit organization, Bespoke Global Health Initiatives. And we went to Sierra Leone to do adolescent health and to provide um, some menstrual Um, hygiene products and education and really get an assessment of uh, the climate there. Because you always hear about uh, places needing help and um, for um, just even like our family and friends, when we told them we were going to Sierra Leone, it's it's like, you know, three things about Sierra Leone, the conflict, Mm. uh, blood diamonds, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and Ebola. Yeah. And it's insane. 
yeah, it is insane. And the country is so much uh, more than that. And uh, the resiliency of the people uh, reminded us of our own personal journeys. Yeah. And no, so crazy. we had the opportunity to, uh, to go to Sierra Leone. And when we were on the flight to Sierra Leone, uh, it was like 36 hours. There was three planes, five countries, <laughs> and a ferry that was <laughs> well it's funny just, just just let me let me stop it for a second so my friend omar mm-hmm. is from sierra leone okay. and my late wife jane who passed away three and a half years ago uh, from leukemia and and i i know omar know omar through jane she took uh amari sotomayor to sierra leone Mm-hmm. to find where he, uh, his, his original ancestors were enslaved. Oh, wow. And so there's a, there's an Island and I don't remember the name of the Island in the Harbor there. And mm-hmm. for the, I don't remember it, but that's the place where he was like, his family was enslaved from. And so he just was just this whole, and there's a huge, there's a story. She tells the story about her going to Sierra Leone. They literally only spent 24 hours in Sierra Leone because it was insane for them. This was a long time ago. So anyway, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to mention that because we'll we'll talk more about that. And it's really super fascinating. Well, you know, it's uh, it's still it's still uh, a different experience than anything oh, yeah. that most Americans would ever um, encounter or or see in their lives. And I think for us, uh, when we were on that flight, uh, the 36 hours, we get to Sierra Leone, and uh, the next stop was Monrovia because there's only two airlines that will fly into Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were getting ready to get up. And one of the passengers said, Oh, you all are getting off here. And we thought, yes, yes, we are. We are getting off here. What are we really walking into? Um, And we, uh, and we looked at each other and we said, okay. Um, When we come back, one, we're going to be in business class or first class. <laughs> Can't do 36 hours in coach. <laughs> and uh, two, we will have a better solution for providing menstrual hygiene products for the youth, the adolescent women and uh, the women here in this country. And so we spent the time in Sierra Leone. And while we were there, um, we met with the girls and to see the um, that they still had aspirations and goals and so much less than what an average, even a poor American has, um, that they were still optimistic and positive. And we got back on the flight and we thought, okay, we know what we need to do. We know we have a solution for this. And then we looked and said, but we can't afford it. <laughs> we can't personally afford it. And uh, we can't come back with a whole suitcase full of menstrual hygiene products. And so we were thinking we need to find an income stream, a guaranteed income stream to support the nonprofit initiatives that we want. And so we thought, okay, we're overworked professionals. Uh, Kentucky's beautiful. When we travel, people always ask us uh, or say the same three things. Uh, when they, oh, where are you from? Kentucky. Kentucky. You don't look like you're <laughs> from Kentucky. 
You don't sound like you're from Kentucky. Well, what do you do in Kentucky? Oh, the Derby. And so we have to tell people Kentucky is so much more than the Kentucky Derby. Kentucky That's is, true. That's is true. beautiful. It's, you know, we, we've traveled a lot and uh, Ireland is probably the only place that we've been to where we've seen uh, the the green grass and, and the horses and just uh, that the open land that you see in Kentucky. Um, and so we thought, let's create a retreat. We can get some little tiny houses, you know, the shipping containers. We can afford to pull together and make a collection to, you know, buy shipping containers and redo these shipping containers. And then we'll create a retreat where people can go. And that's the money that we will use to fund this nonprofit. So it was great. Um, we started looking at land in Kentucky and um, land in Kentucky, most of it that you can do a project like this is zoned A1 agriculture for agriculture use. Uh, however, there are some uh, approved conditional use um, applications for land there and retreat did not fall on the list. Um, campground did. And so I had to figure out how I was going to turn a retreat into a campground and I don't camp. So like for me, the thought of going <laughs> to the bathroom outside in the middle of the night with animals walking around and it's raining, it's just not something that I want to pay for. You know? I love it. I love it. And I love so, it. Oh, people pay good money for that, go, well, by the way. <laughs> and so we've experienced glamping, uh, you know, in Africa and um we thought, and in, in Europe, it's in the UK. And so we thought, okay, um, my main criteria was minimal environmental impact, showing the beauty of Kentucky. So we need to have trees and the vegetation and, and some privacy and some uh, seclusion. And then uh, the shipping containers, because that's... Uh, repurpose, you know, up purpose. And then everything has to have a bathroom and a shower. And so we took those concepts and really started looking at it. And that's how we created Camp Bespoke. And we went from eight acres to uh, 31 acres uh, for this development. And as we were looking for land, um, we had a realtor that we were, were working with and um, she found some land for us. I had criteria for the land too, of course, as it needs to have vegetation. We need to be in an area that's going to be supportive of, of what we're doing. And we need to be close to at least two of the Kentucky airports. So we either need to between Lexington, Louisville, Louisville, Cincinnati, uh, Louisville, Lexington, uh, but at least access to two of the Kentucky airports in less than an hour. And so she uh, sent me some uh, links and some properties to view, and they were in Williamstown. And she said, oh, it's up by the Ark. It's by the Ark encounter. It's up by the Ark. And I said, Ark? And then I realized, oh, she means the full-size replica of Noah's Ark. Okay, that's very interesting. I thought it was in a different part of Kentucky. I, I remember that they were building it, uh, but I thought it was in more um, southeastern Kentucky. 
And so I said, okay, well, let's go up here and look at this um, and see if this land is even developable. So I called the local civil engineer because if you're a developer and you're smart, you always go with the local civil engineer because they usually know where all the pipes are buried, who buried them, where the bones are, you know, and who put them in and what time of day it was. And so um, I called the local civil engineer and while I was coming in to meet with him, he said, well, you know, the mayor, he may be around if you want to meet with him as well. And I said, well, absolutely. And so they come in and I kind of tell them I want to do a retreat. They say, well, you know, it's not approved, conditional use. And and I said, yes, sir. And But campground is. And they said, well, yeah, and we'd be, you know, open to um, supporting supporting that. And I said, well, the ARC. You've got the ARC here. Uh, about how many people visit the ARC? Uh, and he said, about 70,000. I said, oh, a year. And he said, oh, no, a month. 70,000 people visit the ARC a month. Wow. 70,000 visitors a month. So I said, <laughs> um, I'm confused because there's no hotels. There, where's yeah. the holiday in? Where's yeah, the- yeah, yeah. We saw two motels, motels that have not been. Uh, renovated or updated since the eighties. Wow. And, and he said, yep, there's the two motels. And then we've got about uh, 50, uh, between 50 and 60 Airbnb. Okay. The math doesn't quite add up, but you clearly are losing a lot of revenue here. And so uh, he said, so we would be supportive of anything that you could do that would help us, you know, keep some of the money in Grant County uh, and support the need for the ARC. So at that moment, uh, my four or five little retreat uh, container units turned into um, fivefold. (laughs) 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 And it grew a a little bit more. (laughs) You're like, oh, eight acres? Nah, I need 30 acres. (laughs) Yes. So we thought, I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like, this is great because this is money that we don't have to work for. I mean, mm, it's yeah. uh, the land that we found is right off of Interstate 75, which is one of the busiest traveled interstates in the United States. And we are literally two miles from the Ark Encounter. Wow. Wow. And so it's, uh, yes. <laughs> um, You're like, I got to uh, open this thing up so quick. Well, no, no, we were not even thinking that. I was thinking like, okay, so, you know, we should be able to at least maintain a 75% occupancy. Uh, But we also knew that we needed to make a campground that was going to be uh, open year round to really be able to support. So our campground um, had a dual purpose at that point because we knew that we could truly um, help the economy uh, in, in Williamstown and, uh, and not just in Williamstown, but also in uh, Kentucky. So after that meeting, which was October 26, 2019, um, I uh, followed up and they said, these are people that you need to talk to that are gonna help us get this done. If we don't get these people on board, we're gonna be in trouble said, okay. One was the city administrator, um, Laura. And then uh, the other was uh, Jamie Baker, 
who is over tourism and the Chamber of Commerce for uh, city of Williamstown. And so we uh, set up a meeting and she reached out to the state of Kentucky. Uh, I'd already been looking because I knew the state offered some incentives uh, to these type of projects. And so uh, within a week of that meeting, um, I had uh, a date set to meet with the cabinets of economic development and tourism for the state of Kentucky. Did not have a campground at that time. I had the idea and the concept of a campground, but literally had uh, about two weeks to pull together the plan and the the campground, the whole like what we were going to do and uh, and sell it. And so um, I did that. I started doing some research and pouring all the thoughts in my head down uh, onto paper and started running numbers and and saying, okay, this is what I think this should look like. This is what I think we should do. And um, put together a brochure for the meeting. And so we get to the meeting. And and of course, I'm working with the civil engineer. So he's saying, yep, we've got sewer water. This is what the time is going to be. This is what she can do. And yep, this is about what it's going to cost her. And, and uh, we get to that meeting. I hand them the brochure. And they're flipping through the brochure. And then they look at each other and they ask me maybe four questions. And I answer those four questions. And at that moment, it's like I became a fly on the wall in the room. And they started talking back and forth. Can we get her money from this? Can she get money from this? How does she apply for this? Well, if she applies for this, can she get that? We can give her money for this out of this bucket and she can get this. And I thought, oh, wow, we just sold them a campground. (laughs) We got a campground, and <laughs> the state of Kentucky. Wow! Uh, yes, they were wow. full support behind this project. They couldn't believe it. They said, "We've never had one of these presentations where someone has come in with a book with that's been so prepared that has basically thought of everything down to the keychain, and um, and we love it. And what they really loved is that I said that I was focusing on employing locals, but that I was going to make a concerted effort to source at least 90 to 95% of all of the products and trades and services from within the state of Kentucky, because this was a Kentucky prop project for us. And, um, and I don't think that they had heard that. And I think that that surprised them because I live in Virginia. And so <laughs> You're like, Shh, don't tell them you live in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. So you keep adding this on, you yeah. know, I'm living in Virginia. Um, and of course I, I have split my time between Kentucky and Virginia and work in both States. Um, but they, uh, when we left that meeting, um, I'll never forget the Katie Smith who was over, uh, the uh, Cabinet of Economic Development at that point, stopped and said to me, thank you for coming home. You could have done this anywhere in the United States and you chose to do it here. Yeah. Wow. And uh, we've been off to the races ever since. And it's been uh, a Jumanji journey, everything but the kitchen sink because. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you haven't told any, I mean, you haven't told anyone or we haven't talked about it. I mean, maybe they heard it on Michelle's interview, but you also work full time as a healthcare provider. 
Uh, and yeah. you do this. So I just don't know how you have enough time in the day. Cause so I am, uh, I laugh because I feel like, you know, everything that we've probably learned and experienced in our lives have led us to this point. Um, my, I'm an acute care nurse practitioner and my background is heart and lung transplant. Um, so I've spent my nursing and my, um, nurse practitioner career working in that service line up until um, about a year and a half ago. And CT surgeons uh, operate very differently um, because heart transplant is a 24-hour, 365-day business. It's not really scheduled, you know, and uh, CT surgeons do uh, emergencies. They're probably about like trauma surgeons, but trauma surgeons don't do transplant. And so I spent uh, my first year and a half out of uh, nurse practitioner school working with uh, Dr. Michael Sakella at the University of Kentucky, who trained with DeBakey. And uh, they don't really build CT surgeons like that anymore because he is a machine. Um, But you learn to function with very minimal sleep. And so I would say my tap out is probably about 43 hours with a combined six hours of sleep. <laughs> because that's, wow, that's, that's pretty specific. Works. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and and I'm, I can remember the day when I realized that 43 hours was my really? max because wow. we had gone, yeah, we had gone 43 hours and I was setting uh, and we did four transplants in. Wow. Um, I mean, I can't even three can't CT even surgeons. Fat, I can't even fathom that. Yes, three CT surgeons and uh, and myself because nurse practitioners don't time out. Fellows, fellows time out. Nurse mm. practitioners don't. There's no mm. rules that say nurse practitioners time out. And so I uh, was a first assist uh, with them and did uh, procurements and uh, and first assist with transplants. And so. Uh, we would fly out. Um, your heart and lung team have to fly to get their organs or uh, travel to get your organs. Um, mm. Some of the other organs can be shipped, but right. your uh, heart and lung team, you procure your your own organs. Uh, and so we had four transplants in three days. And I remember sitting on the couch in the last patient's room uh, and the nurse asked me for some orders. She gave me some lab values and gave me an order. And, uh, and I, mum, I, I thought I told her what to do. I gave her an order back and she said, what did you say? And I said, I don't know. What did I say? I literally did not know the words that had just come out of my mouth. Oh, and I said, oh. okay, so I need to go lay down. Mm. I just have to go lay down. And yeah. uh, that's what I did. And then I realized that day that 40 hours is probably the max. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, compared to that, entrepreneurship is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> that, you know, I, I draw on that experience every day <laughs> because I literally say he conditioned me for this. We didn't yeah. take the elevator. We always took the steps. You know, I would stand at the OR table for eight hours and then realize, oh my gosh, I haven't uh, used the bathroom. I haven't had water. I haven't checked the phone. I haven't, you know, I've been at this table for eight hours. And 
it's it's endurance and yeah. determination yeah. and drive. And so uh, I'm forever grateful uh, for Dr. Sakella for helping uh, build a micro machine half a <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like I can't think of anything in entrepreneurship that's as grueling as that. Just I not can't even not even close. Not everything else is an easy day compared to that. Well, I there are several times when I uh, stop and I remind myself and say to myself, you know, you are not laying in a bed begging for a heart, praying for um, lungs, uh, and. Uh, you don't get to complain. You don't get to complain. There's a lot of people that would do anything to have yeah. these problems. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, it's so true. I mean, being an entrepreneur is probably the best job you can have and can have the huge impact. Not only, I mean, there's different types of impact. Of course, what you did had an individual impact on someone's loved one. And it's, you know, really very personal and emotional and like a great thing to do, but um, entrepreneurship has got a different impact, right? When you're talking about economic development and helping like generations of people as they come up or kind of trying to um, reverse some of this, you know, generational poverty, institutional racism, all these things are really entrepreneurship is pretty uniquely qualified to do because it's all about like, you know, that meeting you had with, with all those, the, what I call the muckety mucks, all the muckety mucks right in this room. I mean, they, they see this, this huge potential for not only you, but for them to sort of like have this legacy, this lasting legacy of, wow, our community is thriving and can take care of itself. And, you know, there's a huge incentive for them to do that. And, you know, I, I, (laughs) I wish, I wish every meeting was as good as the one that you went to because they're not. Um, But then, then again, you came with something pretty awesome. So. Yes. But I, I really think that um, the more of it is that we started this journey. And as entrepreneurs, we didn't start this to make money, to have a multimillion dollar development with 50% margins. That's not where we started. We started from a place of of giving, of having a social impact, of trying to create uh, a entrepreneurship in a business, a social a social enterprise, basically, um, a business that would be far reaching. Not even looking at it to. Um, have wealth for us because we're nurse practitioners. And so, you know, we've got great paying jobs and, uh, you know, very, uh, very sustainable careers. Uh, So we started this with the thought of giving money away before we made a dime. And I think that uh, that is not always the best solution. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) You got to make sure that the margins are there. But I think it was coming from that place of, of do good and impact um, and, and having that systemic generational impact. Representation matters. Yeah. And when people see us, because my partners and I, uh, we're all uh, 
African-American women, but we all have different journeys. I grew up in Lexington in central Kentucky. They grew up in Louisville. Our um, experiences were very different because I'm in a more rural environment versus them being in a city. And uh, it's, we relate. There's so many different people that we relate to on different uh, levels. And uh, and then the impact that we have, um, some of the communities and just even the areas where we own land and we're developing, uh, they're 99% um, Caucasian. We're in Williamstown and nobody, I've, I've been there a thousand times and I've only seen somebody that looks like me once. And they were working at the ARC and they probably didn't live in Grant County. Right. And right. when Grant County interacts with me and, and the people in that community see that I'm coming in and that all of the employees that we've hired are Grant County residents and um, we're partnering and we're bringing more economic development in. And I've hired local trades, contractors, from Grant County and the surrounding county, uh, it makes a difference because they would never expect a developer that comes in there to look like me. Yeah. And to care about them. Yeah. And to take those steps to ensure that we're truly supporting and giving back. And we're doing those things. And then we're building the units in Louisville and uh, employing trades and contractors there uh, that are um, minority and female-owned businesses. Uh, We've got products in, I've gone into Appalachia uh, to bring products in and to help stimulate uh, the economy there. So I think those are the things that help make a difference because believe it or not, there are people in pockets of Kentucky that haven't had experience or interactions with African-Americans. So what they know is what they see on television. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you a little bit about that because, uh, you know, the general entrepreneur pool in the world, Mm -hmm. mostly, you know, look like me, tall white guy with a beard, Um, hardly not a lot of even women. Right. Um, And even less women of color. And so, uh, it is really interesting how you've sort of found your way into this, what seems like just a you know beautiful development of trying to, I mean, there's so many good things going on here. I, it's hard to even like pull, pull on all the strings. Um, and, and what's interesting is because, you know, what, what I do with some of the uh, professional athletes that I, I help out with their foundations is that we, we do, we go in and teach entrepreneurship to communities of color that don't have that opportunity and especially in Memphis. And we're going to do in new Orleans also in Dallas as well. Um, and you, you notice that the, when the kids see themselves in the people that are presenting, I mean, of course I talk to them because I wrote a book about it and, you know, okay, got to talk to crazy uncle Jari. You got to hear uncle Jari for a little bit, <laughs> but, but as we, what we really try to do, and, and this is on purpose is, get entrepreneurs that look like them. And I had never seen the power of that firsthand until we started to do it because now it's not like, Oh, this is something out of my reach. This is someone 
like me with the same background that looks like me, talks like me, I mean, knows the same people, sometimes even like knows the same people and is saying you can do it too. Mm-hmm. Best motivation for a young person I've ever seen. And, and, and I really, I good on you for, I mean, let's hope that, you know, that that community um, continues to embrace everything. And then like, as you start to grow, this just beautiful thing, like the connections are just so powerful. That's how the world gets changed. Um, I know, I mean, I know you, you, you know, you, you started out trying to just like, okay, we're going to help some, some girls in Sierra Leone, but I mean, you're going to change the world and in this part of Kentucky and probably the U S because of just how much courage you guys had to just try something that's a hard thing to do. I mean, you do a hard job anyway, but I mean, pile on like, yeah, I'm going to own a campground. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting that you say that because that is one of the things that uh, is in our next phase of this, because uh, this has not been an easy process for us, period. We have probably uh, one, we've, had multiple banks that we have shown this project to that, that have had access to the numbers that we've applied. Can't get a bank to do an SBA loan for us. Um, we are basically self-funding this first phase of the development, which is $800,000. Um, and we've done that from uh, our personal savings, working extra shifts and wow. pulling into our 401ks. Uh, we've sold some ownership, uh, to as well, but what they've said to us is, oh, you'll have to get some historicals, you know, and it's like, <laughs> we're a startup. So how does that work? Yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. And, uh, and then it was, you all don't have enough skin in the game. And at that point, I think we had had maybe $160,000 in, um, they said that, uh, so then we pull, we have more money. So now we've got uh, $400,000 in. And then it's, oh, you need a feasibility study. So it's like every hurdle that we've come to. And I mean, every time we've gotten a roadblock or something has happened, we've sat back and we've figured out, re-strategized, and we've pushed forward uh, to do it. It's... uh, so it's been crazy. So we recently gotten to the point where we uh, looked at each other and we said, okay, guys, we've been doing this now for nine months and let's just come to reality. We're going to have to self-fund this first phase. I have to self-fund it. So we have had to pull additional monies out of our 401ks. So we're like, okay, wow. we this has to work or we better hope and pray that, you know, we can do two jobs and um and <laughs> get back on the other side. We're younger. One of our partners is in her 50s and it's even harder for us because we know that we've got years and years of work ahead yeah. of us that we yeah. could do. She does not and she's having to pull, you know, from her hard-earned uh savings and we uh, have leveraged our personal credit, lines of credit um, to get through. And so we've done a phased opening approach. We did some creative um, uh, stuff with the land. We've uh, gone in, we've had 
incredible uh, partnerships. Um, PPG Paints mm. has stepped up and uh, this was earlier on because we realized we got to drive down the cost. We can, where can we save some money at? So we can start <laughs> driving down cost. Right, right, uh, right. You know, the lower we bring the price down, the less we have to come up with. And, uh, and PPG Paints actually um, gave us a contract, gave us a national contract to drive the cost of the paint down. So we're getting premium paint um, at slightly above uh, I mean, a, a, a little bit above what Lowe's or Home Depot is paying. So wow. like they deeply discounted Ecolab. Ecolab came in and uh, supported what we were doing and said, okay, we'll help, you know, discount the uh, the chemicals, make sure you all have what you need because cleanliness is important to us, probably a little more than the average campground person. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the chief head like person <laughs> yeah. for that. You're like, Oh no, this is a, this is glamping. <laughs> Gotta be perfect. I love it. So we've done, um, we, we've had to be creative and, and do those things. Uh, but it has been, it's been, it's been disheartening. And the last time uh, we asked for, um, we put everything together. We uh, re-ran the numbers. Now we're at the point where we've got 400,000 plus uh, invested um, in as a owner group. And they say, oh, you all need a high net worth. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. And you need a feasibility study. I said, uh, we've had to cancel reservations. Uh, we don't have capacity. Um, not only have we had to cancel reservations because we don't have capacity. Um, but. Um, annoying. Yes. Yes. But we've been at this process and I'm sorry. Uh, we've already sold almost a hundred thousand dollars worth of reservations. Now we're having yeah. to get like, there's your feasibility study. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, the Yeah. Art, the ARC gets 70,000 visitors. Even with COVID, it's averaging six to 7,000 visitors wow. a, day. Wow. a day. Even with COVID. Even with COVID. We have 36 units. What makes you think that this is not going to be sold out? There's nothing else like this in the region. And uh, the closest hotel is 15, 20 minutes away. We're five minutes yeah. And, and the local ones in town are these, you know, 1980s, yes. <laughs> Korea 1980s yes. hotels. And of course, you know, with the feasibility study, that's thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's. it's, it's and, and there's no guarantees because. Of I'm course like, not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we pay for the feasibility study and then it's like, oh, well, no, no, we actually think you all need, you know, to pull a rabbit out of a head. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been crazy, but my partners and I, you know, we, we looked at each other and, you know, we said, we knew they weren't going to make this easy for us. We're not yeah. your typical real estate developers, even in hospitality. Oh, someone said that as well. Well, you all don't have hospitality experience. None of you all have hospitality. <laughs> Two of my partners are entrepreneurs that have successful businesses that make 500,000 plus five years, five plus years of owning these businesses. And, <laughs> um, I was the, uh, I was the manager for heart and lung transplant Institute, um, a transplant administrator. 
And so I think I might know a little something about uh, finances, worked for one of the, uh, for the, probably the best luxury home builder in the state of Kentucky uh, to learn construction. So, and we, we've all got master's degree, doctorates, you know, it's like, I mean, if we can't get a loan, who, what entrepreneur in Kentucky can, like, that's my question. Yeah. That's out of this. What minority entrepreneur in Kentucky is getting a, a loan for a startup? Yeah, probably not very many. Right. And the ones that are, you know, um, I can't imagine. I can't yeah, imagine. it's just, it, it's very disheartening because this is a hard enough job being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. than to have all these, you know, completely arbitrary, I guess is the word, kind of constraints. And now, some, some, so some of those everyone has to deal with exactly. because, because, because people in finance generally are super risk averse. In fact, not the good people to get money from anyway, because they're just, yeah. they don't, they're, I mean, they're all bean counters and of course they want zero risk, but there's no, there's no such thing as zero risk. Right. But, but what it sounds like from what you guys are going through is there's a little bit more like let's pile it on a little bit more because these, you know, these women happen to be a different color. And happen to be doing hospitality, which yeah. uh, like the statistics on minorities. So when that comment was made, you know, I thought, wow, there's a, a recent uh, report that was pushed out uh, this past year that talks about minorities in hospitality. Mm-hmm. And it does a canvas of all of the hotels uh, and hospitality in the country, in the United States. And the percentage of minorities that are in executive level or CEO or ownership positions is 0.84%. And the percentage that are uh, minority women Yeah. Zero point one six percent. Yeah, I was going to say zero point eight four percent. You want me to be a unicorn too? Right? <laughs> you're like, you're, you're, I mean, you, wow. Yeah, you would be a, you would be a Pegasus unicorn. <laughs> you know, for us, we know, and so we are uh, those type of people where we are uh, used to dotting all of our eyes and crossing. Yeah, yeah. We have to be that way as a healthcare provider, right. and so we had. Uh, gotten the best training. We hired an individual to come in to be a consultant for us and to uh, work with our campground that has 16 plus years of uh, hospitality experience in camping, campgrounds, and ecotourism. Um, we are going through Lobster Inc. and Forbes Hospitality training yeah. uh, as as um, as owners and will work as general managers at the campground uh, for uh, minimum three months stints as owners. And so we, we did a lot of those um, things. And so we know that that with the startups, you're going to have challenges, which is why we, you know, we're smart and we invested in and, and we did a lot of our research and, uh, and we did uh, some of those things, but um, there's challenges. I mean, we even thought to one point, like we can't even get like a a business line of credit or how do you, you know, set this up or, you know, most African-Americans don't have 
700 or 800 credit scores and you yeah. know they have health it's because they have medical bills yeah on their credit yeah for not having health insurance and some of those things and so yeah. for us we realized that now this is even bigger uh than us because we have to show people that in spite of yeah well i mean you're blazing right. the trail i mean yeah your own limiting factor and we can invest some of the money that we had already allocated for our nonprofit work to help make partnerships to mm-hmm. do some of this entrepreneurship and to help with credit repair and to understand how banking works and how business banking works mm-hmm. uh, because with the PPP that was the first indicator of you know minorities, businesses struggling. A lot of minority businesses don't have relationships with banks. Couldn't qualify or any of that. Yeah. Their personal banking and their business banking is intertwined. They're going to H&R Block or some other small tax preparers to do their taxes. So when it's time to run the reports, they don't have them. They don't have access to them. And then you don't have the relationships with the banks for them to process. So like the PPP loan program put the blaring spotlight on what's really happening with minority businesses. And so I feel happened here in, in San Francisco when it came to all of the food entrepreneurs that uh, I mean, there's a nonprofit here called La Cocina, which my late wife, Jane used to volunteer for. She, she would teach, all the food entrepreneurs PR, like PR 101. She, she loved, she just loved food. So I think that's the reason why she did. She's like, oh, wow, I get to hang out with all these food entrepreneurs. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just, but it's insane because, I mean, same with artists, you know, oh, you can get this PPP thing, but oh, you're not a business. Oh, well, you can't apply. But you're like an independent solopreneur, contract artist, food vendor, but you're not like paperwork. I mean, come on, I don't need paperwork, but need paperwork, unfortunately. Yes. So I can't imagine, like for my partners and I, you know, we're resilient. We're just those type of personalities where it's like, well, you know what? We can show you better than we can tell you. Where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and we're going to find the way. And uh, we've we've looked at each other and and thought most people probably wouldn't have this level of tenacity. And that's the unfortunate part because there are great people with great ideas. And even for us, you know, Mm. if we had to stop and think, we were like, our business plan is out there, our business model, you know, our blueprints, everything. There is nothing to stop someone. If we stop, there is nothing to stop someone from sharing this information with their friends that have high net worth investors or, uh, you know, that revenue or money to be able to create this. There's nothing to stop them from doing it. And we failed. And so what, you know, what are they going to say? Oh, you all just couldn't get it done, you know, but it was a great idea. It was great. Yeah. That's, that's the unfortunate thing of what happens. I mean, that's also my guess, the misogyny of it too. Most, most developers are probably not women, no. And that whole kind of old, old boys club of, you know, oh, we'll just talk to Billy Bob or Jimbo down and whatever. And they're all like drinking beers together and smoking cigar, whatever they do. I don't know. I don't know do any of that stuff. That's not me, but, but I can see how the, 
I mean, the challenge is great, but uh, boy, talk about just, I mean, literally like setting the stage for the, how the world should work. I mean, like just the tenacity and all that is just so, so impressive. I don't, yeah, I agree. I don't think a lot of people would, would um, have as much tenacity as your team does. And I really, I'm, I'm pretty in, inspired by it. And um, I just really appreciate your time. I mean, this, this has been such a great conversation and uh, you know, good yeah. luck with everything. And I can't wait to, one day go camp plant there. <laughs> yeah. I know, you know, for us, I think, um, you know, we looked around and, uh, you know, you have those difficult conversations and uh, we have a second um, land, 90 acres that we own down in, uh, in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. And we, we looked at that, the project and, we said, you know, the city of Williamstown needs this. They need this. And they have supported us from the beginning. They have worked uh, to help us move move mountains <laughs> and uh, have just been, been so supportive and like the best partner that we could ever have. Um, you know, the, um, the civil engineer that I met, you know, I, I laugh and I, I tell him and and I tell the mayor when I go to visit down there, I'm like, this is just as much your campground as it is ours. Like we're in this together. So we're going to swim together. We can go down in flames together. So I'm, you know, Hey, that's where we're at. And they laugh and they said, you know, we've never seen a team of women uh, as hardworking and dedicated and as driven as you all. And if you say you're going to have this campground up, we know you're going to have it up. (laughs) And, uh, and we're going to do everything we can to help you. And so I think that uh, there's a lot of people that uh, have helped us and, and encouraged us uh, as we've uh, kind of pushed forward and, and we are, are forever grateful for them. Yeah. And can't wait to host everybody and yeah. <laughs> forward. Yes. Yeah, and no, that's, forward. it's actually a really great place to end. Uh, Nicole, just, blown away by your story. Good luck with everything. Stay safe. And yeah, anything that, that I can do to help this effort, I think it's a plus stellar. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk offline about how that could happen. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me and I'm thankful and grateful for uh, Michelle thinking about us. And yes, thank you, Michelle. You were right. Excellent, (laughs) excellent, excellent story. She's really good at that. So I, I never doubt. <laughs> There's no doubt in I my doubt. mind. That's why I told her. I was like, I can't wait for you to come. And I can't. But I told her, you got to stay in the TP in December. Yeah. Hey. Because that's the experience. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's like living on the edge right there. <laughs> yeah, that's but you will have heat and air and water and bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. So that's all you can hope for. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, 
values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.